Welcome to STEAM Powered, where I have conversations with women in STEAM to learn a little bit about what they do and who they are. I'm your host, Michelle Ong. My guest today is Dr. Kat Taylor. Kat is a researcher at the ANU's Crawford School of Public Policy, and is also managing editor at the Global Water Forum. She has experience in a variety of areas in water research, ranging from policy through to irrigation. Join us as we talk about dance fitness, water governance, and the Global Water Forum. Hello, Kat. Thank you for joining me today. It's been a bit of a challenge this morning, but hopefully we'll be able to keep going and, yeah, find out a little bit more about you. Thanks, Michelle. So, well, I guess we'll start on where you began. You studied environmental science and conservation biology, and now you're working in policy in the area of water governance and water justice. But what prompted you to get into environmental science to begin with? I guess... When I was in high school, I really liked different sorts of science and particularly liked biology. And the great thing about environmental science is it brings together a whole lot of different science-related disciplines, like a bit of chemistry, a bit of biology, a bit of ecology, a um, bit of statistics, a bit of atmospheric science. And so you get to look at the... Um, a whole swag of, of, of different sciences and you also get to work on in an environment-related field, which is also something that I'm very interested in. Okay, that's fantastic. So how did you progress to being um, to your focus of water justice and water governance? These things <laughs> <laughs> are not always straightforward. Uh, no. After I graduated with my undergraduate science degrees, I had a few different roles that were more in um, perhaps more education-related roles around household water efficiency and drinking water risk management. And I suppose I slowly became more and more interested in policy and how decisions are made that impact on people's lives but also impact on on water and so when I had the opportunity to do a PhD recently I wanted to focus much more on the, the policy side of it which was great to be able to do. Fantastic so what actually uh, did you fall into the water side of things or was it something that you intentionally tried to get into when you were you know doing the water efficiency work? It was Probably more of an accident, I guess, um, <laughs> <laughs> just splashing in there. So yeah. um, after after I finished uh, my undergraduate studies, I was offered an honours project and it was about wastewater irrigation mm-hmm. and the different technologies for um, taking recycled water and using it to safely irrigate lawns and gardens and finding out a bit more about that. And I, I guess that's... Um, set the trajectory for the rest of my career Um, and I just kept working on different water-related projects. But, I mean, I really love water, as it turns out. It's really important. (laughs) It links into so many other things. And um, in Australia particularly, because Australia is a really dry continent with really unpredictable rainfall compared to many other parts of the globe, 
um, it's particularly pressing. But also, water, as um, there's a huge water market, and it underpins a whole lot of industry. So water is actually really powerful um, in the financial economic sense as well. So these questions of who gets to access water and how and how those decisions get made are really critical. So that's pretty much what water governments covers, just the way that water is sourced and distributed. Yeah, yeah that's that's right. So water governance is the, the processes and rules around how water decisions are made. Um, and sometimes we're talking about water governance of drinking water services and other times we're talking about the water governance of um, how water as a resource gets moved from one place to another or, you know, is it used here, is it used there and how is it used, who and how those decisions are made about, you know, how we regulate it and um, make sure that people are using water wisely and according to the rules. So those are all governance-related issues. So in your experience, like with all the work that you've done so far, as well as with the Global Water Forum, which we'll get to shortly, um, are these sorts of issues common globally or are there any that are specifically unique to Australian um, issues and policies around water governance? I guess my interpretation is that a lot of water issues are fairly common, but of course, the contexts are really different from one place to another. So they, I guess they look a little bit different and they're approached differently, but often the, you know, some of these core questions are quite similar. So, um, you know, water governance truly is something that's a global issue even though that's not not I'm not suggesting that there should be a single global <laughs> solution yeah <laughs> yeah um is there anything particularly uh interesting or pressing about governance in Australia for water or is there just too many okay <laughs> <laughs> there's a whole lot of issues and many of them are on the global water forum website which I <laughs> encourage people to look at and read uh we yeah. had a really great article posted up a few weeks ago from our Indigenous uh, Water Knowledge and Issues Editor, Kate Harridan, and she looks at some of those questions around Indigenous science and knowledge, but also Indigenous sovereignty and self-determination, rights and responsibilities for water and how that plays out. So I think that is um, it's certainly been identified as an issue that's important and much more, it would be great to see much more progress on, on that issue. So, um, but yes, there are, there is certainly a lot. <laughs> There's a lot, <laughs> certainly a lot. lot going on. We don't have time to unpack all of that today, Michelle. No, we don't. <laughs> Grab water in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit too broad. <laughs> yeah. Don't get me started. I'll just be here for hours. Ah, we could do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so tell me about the Global Water Forum. Like, what do they provide? What do they offer? So, Global Water Forum, um, which you can find at globalwaterforum.org, is a website where water researchers and practitioners 
um, or anyone who has an interest in water can contribute articles. Global Water Forum um, is very committed to open access, so all of our anyone anyone is free to access our articles, and we also have links to a whole bunch of different water resources that are also open access, such as different eBooks or lecture series that anyone can read or watch if you like to. Um, at the moment, Global Water Forum is really trying to um, support and amplify some voices around water that are not uh, necessarily uh, heard often enough. And so recently we've got a social justice water topic editor on board to, um, you know, to help working with that. So, yeah, really Global Water Forum books. There's a whole lot of challenges around water governance um, in the 21st century and we just focus on providing information that's accessible around that. Great. So um, this is just for everyone. This It's not just for policymakers or people who are actually involved in governance. It's like everybody from students onwards? Yeah, any, I mean, yeah, everyone can read it. It's probably probably a little bit more focused on water nerds than anyone else, but um, <laughs> anyone can read it. And one of the things that we do try and do is have explainer articles where we take particular water concepts or topics that are maybe um, people haven't heard of and explain, try and explain them in, you know, simple terms and, and break it down and demystify some of these technical terms that get, you know, that sometimes get thrown around. Another thing we do is have um, articles that are sort of short potted versions of research articles that, and once again, just trying to break down some of the concepts, which I think is, is really great for readers, but also for authors to share their work with a wider audience. Because, um, you know, maybe there's someone who hasn't ever thought about different ways of modelling, I don't know, freshwater monitoring station and what the optimal mix of locations is or you know, <laughs> some other topic. Or also maybe someone hasn't thought about particularly, particular water justice issues that are happening in um, South America, for example. And, again, it's bringing together the different strands of water governance and um, providing them there in open access. That's such a fantastic resource just to be able to, you know, let everybody know about this kind of information because honestly, hadn't really thought about it myself before when I started seeing the kind of things that you were working on policy around it. It was just really interesting. There's just so much about it and it's a lot more to it than, you know, the one that we hear about the most, which is Murray Darling. There's just so much more scope and yeah, complexity around all these issues. Hmm. Yeah. To go back to one of your earlier questions, Michelle, about water issues in Australia, maybe something that I would like to highlight is that we do talk a lot about the Murray-Darling Basin, and that is a really important place to be putting our attention. But Australia is also much bigger than that. I mean, you're a West Australian like me. <laughs> um, we have water here too, and yes. likewise through northern Australia. So I think... Um, something that I think is important for Australia to focus on is what's happening outside of the Murray-Darling Basin as well and 
putting some kind of critical analysis on that uh, and not having those both those issues but also those innovations that are coming from other regions being overshadowed by what's happening in the Murray-Darling Basin. Um, do you have any examples of the kind of innovations that um, are out there at the moment relating to that? Let's see. Um, one really interesting thing that's happening in the Kimberley is the Matawara Fitzroy River Council, which is a water governance body that traditional owners have set up that brings together different native tidal groups along a river called the Matawara, otherwise known as the Fitzroy River. And um, there's a really great paper written by Anne Paulina about that, which we can maybe put a link to in the comments. Yeah, definitely. But that's, uh, yeah, but that's a really great example of an innovative water governance structure that's um, emerged from the regions. It's not uh, necessarily like coming out of the National Water Initiative, which is our, our national framework. It's coming from traditional owners and they're doing some great stuff there. So a lot of um, smaller communities developing their own infrastructure and um, processes around management. Or is this unique? Look, there's, there's lots of things that are happening all, all through Australia and Northern Australia. Um, I feel like this, this council is a is doing some interesting, interesting stuff. Um, yeah, and and that's around river governance and and cultural governance. So yeah, I'd encourage everyone to to check out their work. And there's also there's a web. They've got a website as well. Oh, excellent. We'll link that as well. Okay. Yeah. So at the Global Water Forum as managing editor, what does that involve? <laughs> so um, I have a great. <laughs> I get to work with a wonderful team of people, our topic editors, and they are people that have experience in different water topics. They're located around the world. And so I work with them to find interesting articles and bring them to the readers every week. And so with topic editors and I, you know, sometimes reach out to authors and say, hey, what do you think about an article like this, uh, would you be interested in, in writing it and then kind of shaping those? So there's a bit of that, a bit of um, working with the fantastic senior editor who manages our social media and we also have a, a podcast which is put together by our senior editor and I just have a bit of a coordinating role around that. Oh, that's great. So what sort of topics do you cover in the podcast? They're all water-related topics. Um, of course. Do try and, <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> so looking at, at different challenges. So the, the podcast does long-form interviews with um, usually with water governance experts from around the world and that just looking at particular issues in, in different regions um, and a bit of around the politics of those. So, uh, yeah, check it out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I guess we can talk about some of the like less work-related topics. Um, so what hobby or interest do you have that's most unrelated to your field of work? 
well. I do a dance fitness class called Funk and Fit. And when I say I, I do, I mean I take part as a participant <laughs> in that. And so yeah. it's funky and I'm getting fit. So that's pretty <laughs> fun. And that's um that's a you can only find it in Broome. Put it's put on by the wonderful dance instructor Justine de Broome. Yeah. And I also previously used to present radio. Uh, I presented I presented the breakfast show on Radio Galari here in Broome in the past, and also I used to have my own podcast. Um, it's not the Global Water Forum one, but a few Australian-based environmental podcasts, which um, with some friends, and that was always that was a great thing to do. It's something I've put on hold for now, though. So, with Funk and Fit, tell me more. Like, what makes it unique to Broome? <laughs> it's unique to Vroom and that, that Vroom is the only place that you can do it. And yeah. um, Justine is, uh, she's a fantastic instructor and a wonderful dancer. And she just knows how to make fitness fun and bring in great music and get everyone there shaking and strutting <laughs> their, their stuff. And, but also doing a lot of squats and strength work as well. And sometimes, <laughs> somehow, just don't even notice that you're working hard. So that's um, the best way. So that's fun and fit. And if you're ever in Broome, you can just drop into classes. They're very reasonably priced. <laughs> <laughs> Little plug right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get into it. Get into it. So is it a specific style or is it just a blend of everything? Uh, look, I guess it's a little bit. Zumbery, maybe a little <laughs> maybe. bit dance hall, a little bit. It's just different kind of contemporary dance styles. Um, That's cool. So, yeah. And nice. uh, I've heard people say about Justine that she doesn't teach dancing, she teaches happiness, which I think oh, is a really great brilliant. description of them. Yeah, who inspires people around her to enjoy life and um, being together and having fun and dancing. That sounds much better than doing anything like spin class. It's pretty great. <laughs> Funny we could find Justine and just have one of her in every, in every city. Oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> Something different for everyone to do. Cool. And uh, next question. Uh, which childhood book holds the strongest memories for you? Maybe, oh, dear. That's, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I read so many books when I was a, a kid and I went through di different phases of different types of types of books. Oh, dear, I don't even know where to, to start with that. I went through a real Anne of Green Gables phase. Yeah. So... That probably holds pretty strong memories and with an E. So what other genres did you read? Oh, God. Um, everything. Everything. Uh, different kind of young adult literature, sci-fi, fantasy. Um, you didn't discriminate. The, classic, the classics. You know, things like The Secret Garden. Um, not really. 
The only thing I didn't read were, were horror were horror books because things like Goosebumps were a little bit too scary for me. So yeah. there you go. That's good. Broad range of reading anyway is always good. Lastly, uh, what advice would you give someone who would like to pursue the work that you're doing or what kind of advice would you tell them to ignore? Look, I think what I found really useful for me is not everyone wants to or needs to do a PhD and so I think if if people are unsure about it let me tell you that you can do it with persistence but also you do not have to do it so um, only go down that path if you feel like you want to commit to it but something that I personally found helpful was having a big break between my undergraduate studies and my um, my PhD studies to do lots of different types of work, live in different places, actually really figure out what I was interested in and what I wanted wanted to do and where I wanted my career to go. And so I think if there are people who feel like um, around study, if they want a bit more time to, to take that and, you know, let life experience teach you where your passions actually lie, um, but also at the same time, um, I would probably say that I feel like my career has been very unstructured, um, and that has a whole host of uh, pitfalls and problems with it as well. And so, um, <laughs> having a focused direction and knowing where you want to go is also quite important. So, what sort of pitfalls did you have in, I guess? the journey while you're trying to figure this out? I think, I mean, there were times where I was working in roles that were perhaps, I mean, where I still learnt interesting things, but they weren't necessarily particularly relevant to what I've ended up doing. Uh, and, it, you know, sometimes that's, you know, that that's part of it and you need to do those things and other times it is you know, you do reflect on things and think, oh, I could have, you know, focused that energy a little bit more. Uh, so I guess that's mean, like, really, it's much, if you have a clear vision about what you want to do, it's much easier to go after that and to, you know, look for different opportunities and get the training that you need and not get distracted with, uh, you know, there's so many, there's so many things that, we can do with our time and just just figuring out what are the ones that are really going to be um, most helpful and you get the most out of. It's good advice. Being able to have a focus so that you at least can direct your energies in the right way. So is doing a PhD something you'd always considered or is it something that you uh, only came to the decision to once you'd had a little bit more experience in work? No, I, I initially said that I was not going to do one. Um, I think when I was in my 20s, I felt like I had enough time in different types of schools and it was only later on that I'd had some time to think about it that I thought, okay, I wouldn't mind going back and, you know, really thinking in that academic and theoretical 
way way again so yeah and it lets you hone a specific topic that has taken your interest over that time yeah right so would you like viewers or listeners to reach out to you or find out more about what you do if the listeners are interested in water i'd encourage them to go to global water forum have a read maybe write an article and send it in Uh, if they the contact details on on the website to contact the managing editor if they want to pitch a pitch a story and um yeah yeah thanks so much for this and really appreciate taking the time and suffering through all of our technological issues this morning um but yeah all the best thank you yeah thanks so much michelle i love being on steam powered and, and having a bit of a chat have a great morning you too The issues around water and the way we source and use it are complex and touch on so many areas ranging from rights through to conservation and efficiency. So it's brilliant that we've got organisations like the Global Water Forum who provide an open resource to share the challenges and initiatives around water governance. Kat also wanted to share that one more piece of career advice that she found valuable is to find good mentors. Seek out people who you admire, respect and enjoy working with because good mentors make an enormous difference to career development. You should also not be afraid to leave a toxic work environment if you need to. To learn more about Kat and what we discuss on the show, or to connect with us, please visit the Steam Powered website at steampoweredshow.com. You can also reach out to Kat on Twitter at KatSelinaTaylor. If you enjoyed this conversation and want to hear more like it, subscribe to this podcast and share this with your geeky or geek curious friends. To find out other ways to support Steam Powered, go to steampoweredshow.com forward slash support. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.